This Lent, we're exploring who killed Jesus. Many people are convinced that they know the answer. But we've gathered 16 suspects as we retrace the events of Holy Week in the special six-week podcast. With your help, we'll discover who really killed Jesus. This podcast is a production of ProgressiveChristianity.org and University Christian Church, San Diego. I'm Caleb Lines. And I'm Marcella Salgado. This is Who Killed Jesus? A True Crime Podcast, Episode 3, Teaching Tuesday and Woman's Wednesday. Welcome back to the Who Killed Jesus podcast, where we are retracing Jesus's actions and the events of Holy Week as we try to discover who really killed Jesus and why. So far, we've talked about Palm Sunday, where we see Jesus coming in and staging an anti-imperial protest against Rome as he comes in on a borrowed donkey and his peasant followers wave their palm branches and take off their cloaks, where on the other side of town, Pontius Pilate comes in with his war horses in this great display of Roman force. And then last week we talked about Holy Monday, where Jesus stages another demonstration, this time in the temple, as he confronts the temple leaders and talks about how they are colluding with Rome. So we've developed a list of suspects, Marcella. We have. And some of them have stood out. Some of them have stood out. So if you haven't heard the first or second episode of the podcast, I recommend going back so you can hear a little bit more about all the suspects. We have 16 plus a few others that Mm -hmm. people brought up. However, the past two weeks, some have stood out more than others, uh, beginning with the Roman Empire. And that also includes Emperor Tiberius. We also have Pontius Pilate, which is a familiar name. And a lot of us already know a little bit more about his story and his role in all of this. Um, One that I really like is Caiaphas, because that's not a name that we talk about a lot. At least we didn't growing up at church very much. So he's the Jewish high priest. And then we have two very familiar groups, the Pharisees Mm -hmm. and the Sadducees. So those are the suspects that have emerged over the past two weeks, just in the stories that we've told or heard um, from Palm Sunday and Monday. And do any of those stand out to you? Do you like any of those suspects? I mean, aside from the fact that I I appreciate learning more about Caiaphas, Uh the ones that really are standing out more than others are the Roman Empire, I think, as Mm -hmm. a whole for me. And a little bit more of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, Never really been a big fan. I used to sing this song, um, uh, I Don't Want to Be a Sheep. Did you ever hear that song? No. Are you going to sing it for us? Well, no, but there was one part (laughs) where that went, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're not fair, you see. Uh, (laughs) I just want to be a sheep, Babbitt. And then the Sadducees, I don't, they're just so sad, you see. Uh, (laughs) So anyway, I've, yeah. (laughs) I've never heard that. That set the stage for the Pharisees and Sadducees for me, so... Okay. There you go. So so they're standing out more in your mind. They are a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. 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 I think I appreciated uh, the the delving in on Holy Monday to the different groups of leaders who were colluding with Rome and the ways that they were colluding with Rome yeah. and why Jesus might have been opposed to that. I thought that was really a very helpful explanation. Definitely. And so I, I think, yeah, those groups are standing out in my mind as well as I see 
a lot of people kind of colluding together mm-hmm. uh, and and standing against Jesus. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about how those events, Palm Sunday and Holy Monday, build on each other mm-hmm. and lead into the rest of the week, mm-hmm. especially Tuesday and Wednesday today. Right. And so at the beginning of this podcast, we said, nothing really happened on Tuesday and Wednesday. That's what I thought. I thought <laughs> we just skip right over that. And when we celebrate uh-huh. Holy Week, it's Palm Sunday and straight to Monday, Thursday. So I was joking with you that like not yep. much happened on Monday. And then last week I was like, Tuesday and Wednesday will be really easy. They're not. They're not? <laughs> They're not. <laughs> did, did something end up happening? Quite on... a lot ended up happening. Oh. So much so that like right at the beginning of chapter mm-hmm. two in this book, they mentioned this is like the longest passage and so many things happened on Tuesday and important things too when it came to Jesus. Well, people trying to trap Jesus. So yeah. 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 So Tuesday ends up being the longest day of Holy Week in the Gospel of Mark. And there is a lot going on. And so I, I think that that's kind of surprising because we don't often do a lot of things in the church to commemorate Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah. And so they're kind of dead days. In fact, we were talking about what what their names were, and we couldn't come up with the names for Tuesday, just Tuesday and Wednesday. Mm-hmm. But the more we learned about Tuesday and Wednesday of Holy Week, the more we realized, well, actually, there's a lot of important stuff going on. And yeah. so we decided that we needed to give them names. Yes, like they should real be named. names. Yes, just like Monday, Thursday, yeah. Good Friday. Palm Sunday. Yeah, I yep. think they should have names. They should have names. So yep. I suggested Teaching Tuesday because I liked mm-hmm. the alliteration and because Jesus spends most of Tuesday teaching at the temple. Ooh, I like that. Teaching Tuesday at the temple. <laughs> Woo! There you go. <laughs> oh, look at There's all that alliteration. alliteration we got. I like that. Teaching Tuesday at the temple. Teaching Tuesday at the temple. But then yeah. I said, Marcella, what should we name Wednesday? Because I don't like just Holy Tuesday, Holy Wednesday. These right. these days are important. They deserve their own names. And they should help us remember what, what happened? happened that day. That's right. right. I, well, I think. So I like that. Um, that was a harder one, Wednesday. Because there was yeah. a lot happening. But the one thing that stood out the most uh, to me was enough for me to call it Woman's Wednesday. Woman's Wednesday. Yes. I like that because I have never heard anyone call the Wednesday of Holy Week Woman's no. Wednesday. And and the only time, well, I think there's two moments that we we refer back to women on mm-hmm. Holy Week, depending yeah. on, on who you're reading or what narrative you're trying to describe. Like we talk about the women who walked up to... Um, Oh my gosh, the tomb. And yeah. so we hear about the women being the first to to realize like, hey, Jesus is not here. Right. Yeah. And then sometimes we talk about the woman who anointed Jesus with uh-huh. um oil, right? So right. um so those two things, but they talk a little bit more about that in this chapter. And I yeah. really, really appreciated that. And so it is a shorter section, but I think it's a really important section. And and they mentioned that. They mentioned that. Yeah. So. I love that. Woman's Wednesday. And we'll yes. talk more about her. So We've got to cover two days today, Marcella, and the chapters that we're talking about in Borgen Crossens the last week were dense, yes. and there's actually a lot that happens on Tuesday and Wednesday. So I think we should probably spend less time talking about what we've talked about in previous weeks and Perfect. move on into Tuesday and Wednesday. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about Teaching Tuesday and Woman's Wednesday. 
Killed Jesus, a true crime podcast, is a special six-week exploration of who really killed Jesus and why. This podcast is brought to you by ProgressiveChristianity.org, celebrating 30 years of reclaiming Jesus' original message of justice, peace, and liberation while proclaiming an intellectually honest Christianity. And University Christian Church San Diego, an authentic, inclusive, and progressive congregation in the heart of San Diego's Hillcrest neighborhood that declares God's love for all people. Welcome back to Who Killed Jesus. We're talking about Teaching Tuesday and Woman's Wednesday. And so on Tuesday, what happens is Jesus spends the majority of his day teaching in the temple, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. And then on Wednesday, Jesus is anointed by a woman, and then Judas decides to betray Jesus, and we get some interpretations of what is going to happen to Jesus in the future. So Tuesday is the longest day of Holy Week in the Gospel of Mark. Were you surprised by some of the narrative that, that you were reading about? Yeah, I was. I mean, we don't we don't usually pay attention to mm-hmm. to Tuesday, but what I really loved learning more was um they spent most of the day trying to trap Jesus. And not mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. one group of people, but you had several groups of leaders yeah. uh trying to trap Jesus and you know, the question why? Like why were they trying to trap him? Was it to um, so that they could accuse him, of, yeah. you know, to get, give him re- reason to arrest him yeah. or, you know, why. So I appreciated like the the different examples that they provided in there of how they tried to entrap him and how he didn't fall for the trap. You know, he was That's right. obviously he was a very smart individual, but I liked how he came back at them with um, asking deeper questions and and not falling into the trap and challenging mm. them, too. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's clear that Borg and Crossan, too, were very impressed by Jesus' rhetorical skill mm-hmm. and savvy here to respond to people who were trying to trap him, and there was a, a real stake mm-hmm. here. There were, there were stakes. There were things that could happen if he answered the wrong way. And so one thing that I was struck by that maybe I hadn't ever been struck by before was that Jesus had spent Monday engaging in this temple demonstration mm-hmm. to whatever degree that ended up being. And I thought, well, of course, the religious leaders were then not happy with <laughs> Jesus. I mean, <laughs> just the day before he had gone in and staged this anti-temple demonstration. Yeah. And then the next day he was out in the temple court mm-hmm. uh, teaching mm-hmm. and saying things that were anti-religious establishment. And so Two-thirds of this uh, this day is spent with Jesus and the religious leaders mm-hmm. talking back and forth to each other and is pretty confrontational. Right. And so to me, that made a lot of logical sense mm-hmm. that Jesus would have come in on Sunday, stage this anti-imperial protest, then on Monday, stage a protest against the religious leaders, and then on Tuesday, he goes or he goes back to the temple and he begins teaching, mm-hmm. and the religious leaders are out there saying, "What's up with you, dude? <laughs> Why do you think you have the authority to do this?" Right. And then asking him a bunch of questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that something that followed pretty logically for you too? Yeah, it did. It it did. I uh, again, it's something that I don't we 
didn't talk about growing up. Yeah. We didn't, you know, like we breeze right by it. Yeah. Um, but it was very intentional and, and yeah, just the order made, made yeah. sense. Too. And Jesus wasn't kind of a say about it or mm -hmm. he didn't, uh, he right. wasn't like, he was antagonistic mm -hmm. and he was implying that the Sadducees were greedy, mm -hmm. uh, that the Pharisees were concerned with the wrong stuff. Right. And a lot of these parables that Jesus ends up telling on Tuesday are parables that we then take out of context. Yes. Because we don't yeah. realize that they're like yeah. in Holy Week or we don't do the work to like look and see where they actually are in the gospel. Right. And so if you take them out of context, they can mean completely different things. Yeah. But yeah. when you ground them in their context, mm -hmm. it's really pretty clear that Jesus isn't talking about apocalypticism, that right. Jesus isn't talking about uh, some otherworldly thing, but that Jesus is condemning mm -hmm. the religious establishment and is trying to give his people hope in the midst of the collusion that they're doing with right. Rome. Right. And for me, that was a really important realization mm -hmm. about what was happening on Tuesday. Yeah, I agree. And maybe this is a good point to, to mention that it is really important to read Mark within the context that Mark was writing the book. Mm -hmm. And you're mm -hmm. saying, you know, like, don't, we, we pull these parables and these stories out, um, out of context, and it you can take it can take on an, its own interpretation. But Mark was very intentional in how he wrote. I appreciate that Borg and Crossan mentioned that yeah. because if we don't understand how he uses prophecy and history, and then even his the stories, right? Yeah. We could badly misinterpret, which I think is what happens and yes. what has mm. happened mm -hmm. in mainstream Christianity. We've just taken this all out of context. So looking at it from the way that Mark intended to write the book, looking at his literary style, yeah. brings so much more context to these stories and to the week and you know the progression of events and Jesus' intention in what he did during that week. You know, so Tuesday yeah. wasn't an accident. He didn't just happen mm, to be mm -hmm. in the temple and just be like, I'm just gonna go hang out there today. Like there was very much intention in in being there and teaching. So yeah. And you know that Mark's gospel was the first to be written, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, I think, but it means that when Matthew and Luke came along and they used Mark as their primary source, mm -hmm. that they then had to make some interpretive choices, just as Mark, when he was telling the story, mm -hmm. you know, at least 40 years after Jesus's crucifixion, that he had to make some interpretive choices about what he was going to say, that Matthew and Luke then took Mark's gospel and they reordered a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is one of the really complicated things about biblical interpretation is that you can hear the same stories in different gospels, but the different gospel writers intended them to communicate different points. Right. And so yeah. when Mark's narratives are taken out mm -hmm. and placed in a different order, mm -hmm. then it makes them mean something else in the context of that gospel. So one of the examples that Borg and Crossan give is the fig tree, mm -hmm. where Jesus curses the fig tree. We talked about this last week. And then he goes into the temple and then comes out and the fig tree uh, has withered away, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so in that context, it's clear that the fig tree is symbolic for the religious leaders mm -hmm. that they look like they're going to give fruit, right? right? But they 
don't give any fruit. It's a condemnation of the religious establishment, as we talked about last week. But Matthew, mm-hmm. we lose that that going into the temple peace, and Jesus just curses the fig tree, and then it withers away, and it makes Jesus seem like he's magical. Right, right. <laughs> and so, so I think that's another important thing that has really been driven home for me as I've been reading the events of Holy Week is that it's hard to, to keep track of these mm-hmm. and to realize that the gospel writers made their own interpretive choices. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I fully agree. Yeah. So, Marshall, one of the one of the teachings that really stood out to me mm-hmm. in this as a, an important example of how we need to keep the parables in their context mm-hmm. is the the this and not just parables, but all of the action in its context in the story in the narrative is the thing about the denarius mm. and the render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Yes. Have you ever heard that before? Yes. And I've I've heard it to justify, you know, paying taxes, following mm-hmm. the rule of law, like why we should, you know, respect our our political leaders, mm-hmm. you know. Um so reading it in this context changes changes the meaning of that story, of that mm-hmm. parable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I think this is one of the most misunderstood examples of Jesus' teachings that I can think of. Because the way that I have typically heard this, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if you've heard this or not, but I have heard a lot of people say, well, this is Jesus endorsing the separation of church and state, (laughs) (laughs) which is an enlightenment idea, Mm -hmm. right? He couldn't have been endorsing the separation of church and state because that idea, that concept, wouldn't be invented for almost two millennia. (laughs) It wasn't something that he could have even fathomed. Mm -hmm. And so instead, I think it's really important to understand this because I think it shapes the way that Jesus' followers relate to government. Very much And so so Borg and Crossan point this out and they say, okay, someone brings him uh, or someone asks him, you know, should you pay taxes? Mm -hmm. And that's a controversial issue. Right. Are are taxes, they're not controversial today, right? I mean, we've overcome that. Well, it depends on who you talk to, Uh. right? (laughs) (laughs) Some people don't want to pay as as much. Some people, and then, you know, you've got my, I had a lot of very radical friends who who have stopped paying taxes for, that's radical too. (laughs) Like, I'm too afraid to not pay taxes, but, you know. Ask me a little bit more about whether or not I want to and where my money's going. <laughs> it, it's controversial, right? Because on the, on the one hand, you've got taxes that support the war machine. On the other mm-hmm. side, you've got taxes. Education. That, right, education. Uh, social you know, services. So, right, yeah. right. It's, it's a very controversial thing. Even today, I, I mean, I remember being in like fifth grade and a teacher trying to explain the difference between the political parties and describing the difference primarily in terms of how we pay taxes, which is the most biased explanation (laughs) of differentiating uh, political parties I can think of. But it's controversial, right? right? So it was super controversial in Jesus's day Mm -hmm. because the Jews didn't like the Roman oppressors. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine why. And the Romans imposed taxes, and those taxes went to then further Roman oppression. Mm -hmm. So you can understand why that's not really a popular tax to pay, right? Right. They they wouldn't have wanted to do that. So 
all the people who were listening there, and mm-hmm. the Gospel of Mark says there were a lot of people, and they were spellbound by Jesus's wonderful teaching. Uh, so those people would not have wanted him to say, "Yeah, go ahead and pay the taxes to the to the empire." Uh, on the other hand, we had the religious establishment who was colluding with Rome mm-hmm. and who was in charge of keeping order. And if Jesus had said, "No, don't pay taxes." Right. Well, that would have been anti-imperial. Right. And it would have been a grounds for a sedition charge. Mm-hmm. And so what he says instead is. Give give unto Caesar. Oh, wait. Yeah. The things are Caesar. Yeah. And give to God. <laughs> what is God's? What is God's? Right. Well, we all know that. Yeah. That verse. And so. um Right, it's uh, he. Jesus says, "Bring me the denarius, day's wage," and mm-hmm. on the front is the Roman em- emperor. Right, and on that coin is also a claim that the it emperor the is son of God, the son of God. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, if if you got the coin and you looked at it and you saw the emperor and it said that he's the son of God, mm-hmm. how how would you respond to that? How would I respond? Yeah. Oh. I'm a chicken, so <laughs> I probably just would have been like, I don't know. I don't know how I would have responded, is, honestly, Caesar. Caleb. Like, <laughs> I'm a chicken. <laughs> I would have probably been among the 12 disciples and just been like, you know, let me hide in the back. I, I wouldn't have answered that's it. A, so that's a really good point, right? Because we see the disciples mostly silent yeah. in these narratives, yeah, uh, which becomes important for Mark later. And so Jesus kind of says, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and uh, he makes this claim right that the the coin has the emperor's face on it, mm-hmm. and it says that he is the son of God. It has blasphemy mm-hmm. on it to the Jewish people, even if they didn't say anything about Jesus being the Messiah. Right. The claim that Caesar was the son of God mm-hmm. and had his image on the coin was blasphemy. Mm-hmm. It was idol worship. Right. And so. As Borg and Crossan point out, a lot of them refused to carry a denarius. So what did they carry instead? So they carried... And I did not know this, by the way. I love <sighs> this. I didn't know this. I have never heard this. Yeah. Please explain it. I think this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they had their, their own mm-hmm. <laughs> coins, and uh, but did not have graven images on them because the all the Roman all the Roman coins had either uh, an image of Caesar mm-hmm. or an image of, of animals. And mm-hmm. so that was contrary to Jewish teaching, and so they could not carry those coins, except for the the people who were in charge and did carry those coins. And so it was an indictment against them for carrying being hypocrites. That's right. And worshiping their true God. Right. right? Oh my gosh. How do we not talk about this at all? Because I think that's uh, a really important way. Yeah. I mean, without that that historical fact. Yeah. The whole parable is misinterpreted. Yes, that's right. I thought that was so cool. That's right. So it's an (laughs) indictment of people worshiping money and colluding. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, uh, one point that uh, the Borg and Crossman make as well is that everything ought to belong to God. Mm -hmm. And so it's having people choose. Once again, just like on Palm Sunday, Mm -hmm. are you going to join the parade of power and violence or the parade of nonviolence and Mm -hmm. peace through justice, are you going to worship money Mm -hmm. and empire or are you going to worship God who calls us to care for the vulnerable? And so this to me is just the perfect example of Mm -hmm. how we have to keep these these teachings within their context 
to understand what they really mean, because this is uh, actually a very central right. teaching to what it actually means to be right. a Jesus follower. And yeah. it's not about separation of church and state, which I think is a good idea, by the way. It's yeah, just not Jesus's yeah. idea. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's okay that it's not Jesus's idea, right? That's right. Like that's a part of history. As we evolve, we learn yeah. more about science as our government and just everything, our, our social structures yeah. evolve. We learn more and we can still apply these principles to our current day situation. Yeah. You know, like we can still look at, at what he's trying to teach and, and state in there. Um, that story really blew me away, yeah. as as did the others. But I, I do agree, this is probably one of the most important ones um, to come out of Tuesday also. And a great example of how they really tried to back him into a corner to get yeah. him in trouble, mm. to try to get him out of the way. And he didn't he didn't fall for their traps at all. So I liked that. I think another important point about Tuesday, and then we need to move on to Wednesday, is that at the end of the day on when, on Tuesday, they are leaving the Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And they look out and they see the enormous stones of the temple. Mm -hmm. And uh, Peter says, oh, look at these stones. Isn't this beautiful? And Jesus says, not one stone will be left unturned. Right. right? And so this is actually one of the most important verses in the entire gospel of Mark. Mm -hmm. And the reason that, that they that they tell us and, and is actually kind of one of the cornerstones of New Testament scholarship is that this gives us the date for when the Gospel of Mark was written. Oh, okay. Because, uh, because this is making reference to an actual historical event, mm -hmm. which is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in the year 70 of the Common Era. Right. And so scholars pretty much universally agree that that's what this verse is about, whether they're conservative or more mm -hmm. progressive scholars, they all agree that that's what's happening here. Mm -hmm. And so that gives us the date. So we know that this is 40 years after Jesus's crucifixion. Mm -hmm. It also helps us to interpret the verse that Jesus is not actually predicting the future mm -hmm. that, that the temple is going to be destroyed, but rather it is speaking to a historical event mm -hmm. that Mark would have known about. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, Mark uses it as a way to indict the temple leaders. And so oh. I thought that was kind of brilliant writing yeah. to yeah. both use his own context and to use that in a way that indicted in the narrative, mm -hmm. the temple leaders. Mm -hmm. So that's that's okay. an important event in Tuesday, but we, we've got to move on to Woman's Wednesday. Woman's Wednesday, yeah. So why did you pick that name, Marcella? Oh my goodness. So I was real. I mean, there was, again, a lot that happened on Wednesday. Yeah. But particularly the focus on the disciples and, yeah. and questions that they had and arguments that they had yeah. and trying to be the first and, mm -hmm. you know, all these things. We hear all those stories a lot. Yeah. Um, at least I did growing up in church and, you know, we continue to hear them. But what we, and we we do hear the story, but the one that really stood out was the woman who anointed Jesus, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we, this is, they did point out there are, there is another story in the gospels, not to be confused with that one, but this one in particular, and you can explain it probably a little bit better and put it into context, but um, this one was very important because she was the first 
to truly understand what it meant to follow Jesus. So when I talk about being a chicken, and I probably would have been standing to the back, like I love to think that I'm super radical and I'm doing all these things to stand up against oppression and against, you know, the current empire and everything. Um, but truth be told, like there, there is some hesitancy in doing that. I probably would have been one of those disciples in the back biting my nails being like, I know I should say something, but I'm not. Yeah. We don't talk about women being, well, this, you know, woman being the first to truly follow Jesus. And alongside mm -hmm. her were Mary Magdalene, mm -hmm. Salome, and other women. Yeah. Like, I think they got it. Like, they mm -hmm. make this point mm -hmm. that she got it first. Yeah. You know, and we, we highlight the 12 disciples and make such a big deal of them. But what about yeah. the women, right? Yeah. So that really stood out to me enough to say, you know what? Like, let's call this Women's Wednesday because women were the first to get it. Oh, I like that. And Morgan Crossan even goes so far as to call her the first Christian. Right. And I thought that was very significant. Right. The first Christian, the first real Jesus follower. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that we sometimes miss in these anointing stories is that the anointing that they are doing is what you would do to a king. Mm. So whenever someone became a king, they were anointed with oil on the head. So this wasn't something that was readily available, the oil, you right. know, it was expensive. Yeah. It, it was not something that just anybody could buy. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that she is realizing Jesus's messiahship, his leadership, even his kingship, mm -hmm. right? She's choosing the reign of God over the Roman Empire or any of the the colluders who are technically in charge of her people, that she is choosing Jesus instead. Mm. And so I think this story is especially symbolic mm -hmm. because we've got a marginalized person, a right. woman right. who didn't have many rights, right? And she's doing the anointing, not a temple, mm -hmm. but in the home of a leper. Wow. Who was ritually unclean. Right. right? So the, the place where Jesus is named the Messiah mm -hmm. is in a leper's home by a woman. Right. And if that doesn't tell us mm -hmm. what the values of the reign of God are in right. comparison Amen. to the the Roman Empire right. and to the colluders and the religious establishment, right. I don't think anything does. Yeah. Yeah. We don't talk about that enough either. Like the location of where where she anointed yeah. him, mm -hmm. who she was. Um, and then also when they mentioned the other women too, like, you know, they mentioned Salome and Mary Magdalene, yeah. who had basically helped provide for his ministry, right? So these That's are right. women yeah. that somehow or another, you know, helped provide and and yeah. finance his his ministry. Like yes. how cool is that? And yet yeah. We're the marginalized. We're the right. you know, and and especially in those times, you yeah. know, they weren't very important. Yeah, that is very cool. That is really cool. I think Jesus seemed to over and over again try to dismantle the gender roles that the society had put into place, mm -hmm. and so we see that over and over again. And yes, you're right that that women are specifically named as his benefactors. So it's safe to say that Jesus could not have been in ministry without the women funding his ministry, mm -hmm. and that his message was super radical. It's as time went on that people are like, ooh, that's, that's too mm -hmm. radical. Maybe we ought to tone that down a bit, which right. leads me to 
maybe an important suspect mm -hmm. who emerges mm -hmm. in this narrative, and that's Judas. Oh, boy. <laughs> Judas. Well, we all know he betrayed Jesus, right? Oh, we, he, we've seen the movies. Oh, we've heard the stories. <laughs> right, right. And that is one of the pieces that we often hear about mm -hmm. during Holy Week. And so what do you think about Judas as a suspect? And maybe more importantly, what do you think his motivation was for betraying Jesus? Well, one thing that stood out to me while reading mm -hmm. this is that perhaps I don't know his motivation, mm -hmm. really. Like, I think I do because yeah. I've seen the movies, yeah. <laughs> you know, or it, uh, money, yeah. right? He, he wanted to get paid. But they point out that the, the leaders said they would pay him, not that yeah. he asked for money, yeah. right? Um, then something that emerged in, in my mind, too, as I was reading was, maybe he just wanted to be careful. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm talking about being a chicken standing yeah. to the back, you know, yeah. like maybe it's an easy place to be like, here, let's just eliminate this person so that yeah. I don't get in trouble and yeah. I don't end up on a cross and I, you know, arrested and on a cross. Mm. So maybe there was some fear behind it so that the 12 and the other followers yeah. that were clearly there with him um, didn't get in trouble. I don't know. Yeah. And I think Borg and Crossan really drive that point home that we actually don't know his motivation in the Gospel of Mark. Mm -hmm. We are not given that motivation. I think, though, that we are meant to infer something mm -hmm. because we read the story about this unnamed, uh, which is another point of marginalization, right? Mm -hmm. She doesn't even get a name. This right. unnamed woman anointing Jesus, which was taboo. She was touching him, mm -hmm. and he was not her husband. Right. And so. she was calling him the king through this anointing, and it was in this home of the leper. And immediately after this very scandalous incident, mm -hmm. we find Judas going to the religious leaders. Mm -hmm. And I think we're meant to infer that this was too much mm. for Judas. Mm -hmm. That the, the boundary breaking that Jesus was doing right. was simply too much. Right. But <laughs> we've got the the day where we are staging an anti-imperial parade. We've gone and we've done a demonstration in the temple. We spent Tuesday confronting all the religious leaders. And then on Wednesday, we go and there's this woman touching Jesus, mm -hmm. anointing him, calling him the king. Mm -hmm. I think we're meant to infer that that was too much right. for Judas. And so it wasn't actually greed, I don't think, I, although we get that explanation in other Gospels, but I don't mm -hmm. think that's what Mark is telling us. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think you're right. I think, it's, I think it's fear because it was too much and, dis, and discomfort. And to me, that also symbolizes that like Jesus's message can sometimes feel like too much, yeah. too radical, yeah. even today. Yeah. Oh, I think it's so much easier to accept this idea of Jesus died in my place for mm. my sins, mm -hmm. and you know, then in, in you know, so that I wouldn't have to face that. Yeah. It's so much easier to accept that yeah. than it is to see this message and hear this message and say, "Oh, shnikes!" Like <laughs> I have to now be the one to you know, like if I'm a follower of Jesus, I literally have to follow what he did, which yeah. meant, which means standing alongside the marginalized, yeah. you know, being with some people that, you know, might not be the most agreeable. They might not, you, you know, like yeah. they're marginalized for a reason a lot mm. of times. And um, not that that's justified, 
Um, that means I have to stand up against oppression, which might even mean me yeah. not paying taxes. I don't know mm. to what degree am I going to choose to follow Jesus and stand up in the same way that he did. And right there, he's calling us to follow him to death, right? Yeah. Like, if you're going to do this, jump in head first. So I think I would find discomfort mm -hmm. in that. Um, and I still do. Yeah. So much easier. Just like, Jesus, thank you for dying ah. on the cross <laughs> for my sins. And now I'm a good person. And now, you know, like, that's a much easier message to swallow for me. It is. Not that I like it. <laughs> it it's easier and it's empty. And that's why a lot of people choose that because mm -hmm. it doesn't require. And I've also got to say, I love that you said schnikes. <laughs> <laughs> and so Borgen and talk a lot about how the disciples misunderstand mm -hmm. and then we misunderstand right. in thinking that he is atoning for sins mm -hmm. when he's not asking that he, he, or he's not telling them that he is dying on behalf of sins, but instead, instead he is saying that they are to participate with him in the events that lead to his death. Right even as they're standing back. And so I think that raises both Judas on the suspect list and it raises the disciples yeah. and their complicity because Borg and Crossan also make it very clear that the disciples don't seem to have much interest in yeah. participating with Jesus. Right. They, they, well, there was one important part too where we misinterpret um, a lot of times where they, you know, they like, you know, well, going back, like, who do you say I am? And yeah. so, and also like here, like, you know, they really want him to be the Messiah. Yeah. And Jesus literally says, shut up. Yeah. And not like, shut up, like, yeah. be quiet. We yeah. really don't want people to know that I'm, you know, the Messiah. Right. But it's really interpreted as be quiet because you're wrong. Like, this is not what this is about. Like, yeah. this is, you know, like. I really liked that, but you know they they're wanting to elevate yeah, Jesus and wanting yeah. to to approach his message very differently mm. than what he's asking of them, and they don't quite get it. Yeah, that's really important because that in Mark is called the messianic secret that Jesus is always telling them, "Don't say that I'm the Messiah," mm -hmm. and that was something that I deeply appreciated. Here was part of the reason for that is because they were interpreting it wrong. Mm. Like if they had said he was the Messiah who was going to do what a Messiah was supposed to do, which was overthrow Rome and reestablish a united kingdom of Israel, that that was a seditious act. Mm. But the kind of Messiah he was wasn't that kind of Messiah, was the kind of Messiah who wanted a nonviolent revolution of the heart. Mm. So, woo! That's a lot. Oh, man. Okay, so a lot That's happened good. on Teaching Tuesday mm -hmm. and Women's Wednesday. Yeah. And so I can see how this was a week that ended up with Jesus on the cross. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's already given them a lot to, you know, yeah. <laughs> to condemn and to to induce fear and panic, yeah. I think, in, in leaders, both Jewish leaders and... Um, Obviously, the, the Roman Empire, for sure. Yes. Yeah. So next week, we'll go to a familiar day, mm -hmm. which is Maundy Thursday. Mm -hmm. So we hope that you can join us next week on Who Killed Jesus? A True Crime Podcast as we look at Maundy Thursday.